0: Hey, we're in week three. I was going to say week two. It's my week two, but it's your week three of this series. Uh, spiritual conversations. And again, when we say spiritual conversations, uh, conversation is, is a, a euphemism. It, it includes a, a lot of things that don't actually include talking. Um, it, it really, these, these spiritual conversations we're talking about are really spiritual, relational things that we do. Um, the way we show love, the way we express the kingdom of God that is here and real and happening now in our lives. So to be very, very clear, this conversation with folks is not about uh, necessarily folks from other traditions, not necessarily including them, but our focus isn't on them necessarily. Our focus is on sharing the good news of the kingdom of God. And as we looked at a couple weeks ago, we've got a, a big problem, and this big problem plays out in a lot of different ways. And in one big kind of overarching way for this entire series, this tunnel vision problem of ours, we misperceive, I think, and we misunderstand what sharing the good news of the kingdom of God is really all about. Many of us have kind of an unrealistic, I think, and a disjointed, maybe overly narrow, incomplete view of what it means to share the good news of the kingdom of God. See, we've got that phrase, sharing the good news of the kingdom of God, and we've got this other phrase, sharing my faith. And the two play, they they should play together nicely, but they need to play together nicely. They can't be separated. And a lot of times in our enthusiasm to share the good news of the kingdom of God, we kind of... break away the good news of the kingdom. We don't even talk about the kingdom. We just talk about here's how you get to heaven, right? Don't do this or you don't get in. And and we break it all down to are you in or you're out. But that's not really sharing the good news of the kingdom of God. The good news of the kingdom of God is the kingdom of God has already arrived. Nobody has to wait for it, right? It's already arrived. That's the good news. And our job is to convince people that God's kingdom has already arrived in Jesus Christ we get so wrapped up, again, in how, how to get into the kingdom, we neglect sharing and demonstrating and living out the good news of the kingdom itself. Here's what we're learning. Sharing the good news of the kingdom of God is as much about a kingdom lifestyle of acceptance and forgiveness and spiritual acts of kindness as it is about getting someone to say the prayer. Now, now don't get me wrong, right? We all have to have that conversation with Jesus. Every living soul has got to have that conversation with Jesus. And you're going to have to come to a conclusion, yes or no. It, it's really that simple. But the, here's the reality. Here's the, here's the thing about the prayer, right? The prayer. One of the early 70s, any of you remember the 70s? Some of us are getting old; I don't remember them. I know I lived through them, but I don't remember them. Um, There were a lot of evangelism packages that you could buy, right? If you were involved in the church, evangelism explosion, and then suddenly I couldn't remember anything. I mean, there were just a whole slew of them. And I remember one of them, and I don't remember which one it was, but my wife remembers this very, very clearly because she's told me about it. In one of these packages, they told you, if you don't remember the day you prayed to accept Christ, you're not saved, and that, that ruled my wife's life, right? She had to remember that, that, that prayer, the, the prayer, the moment the prayer was prayed. You had to remember that or somehow. But then there are other people like me. I don't remember that. I, I, in my memory, I was saved at a sixth-grade summer camp altar, but then I know for a fact that I was baptized in fourth grade. So how does that work? I, I, as I, as I think about it, I get the, and I've talked to other people about this, there are some of us who remember that day that you prayed the prayer, and there are others of us who prayed that prayer, we don't remember not praying that prayer, right? We remember that it was just that conversation from as early as we remember that we trusted Jesus. But I personally don't remember that day I am saved, <laughs> just rest assured, even though I don't remember that exact day, Right? And then there's the prayer that you want to pray for them. Right? They've got to have that conversation with Jesus too. And it'll probably be a bunch of conversations. It won't just be one magic moment of prayer. But unless some form of discipleship takes place, the prize is quickly lost. Right? We've seen this in people's lives. They come to faith, they accept Christ, and there's no discipleship that takes place. There's no body that comes around them. They decide they don't need church they've accepted Christ they're good to go and lo and behold what happens they literally lose their faith now I, and you can question till the sun goes down whether they lost their their salvation but did they still believe in God did they still have a faith right one and done prayers result in kind of an, an anemic spirituality for the new believer right all i have to do is say the right words and i'm good to go We get so wrapped up in closing the deal, chasing them down, convicting them of their sin, convincing them to trust Jesus, getting them to say the prayer. Whether or not they actually know what the prayer is all about or to whom they're committing their lives to, we're like, yes, they said the prayer. Now I can go on my way happy, and I don't know what's going to happen to them, but I did what I was supposed to do. I shared my faith, but I'm not terribly sure you shared the good news of the kingdom of God. See, in our hesitation or in our zeal, right? One of the two, some of us hesitate to share the good news of God and, and others of us are like really, really, really excited. We forget two crucial, crucial things. Number one, God is the one pursuing people, right? We're only his helpers. Listen to this from John's gospel. This is John chapter six, verses 45, 44 and 45. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them. So we can do everything. We can do all the chase in the world, but God hasn't drawn them. We're we're spinning our wheels, and I will raise them up on that last day. It is written in the prophets. They will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from Him comes to Me. Now that, that's a mouthful, and, and and I and I have to every once in a while. I, I, I got to do this. I'm going to show you a different version. It's the Message version, and it, and it brings to light some things that are that are here. But it'll be easier for me to show you the message version than try to explain. Here's the message version, and it's just amazing. This is basically Jesus talking to the the Pharisees who seem to have decided that they're the ones who decide who gets into the kingdom of God and who doesn't. And he says to them, you're not in charge here, literally. You're not in charge here. The Father who sent me is the one who's in charge. He draws people to me. That's the only way they'll ever come or you'll ever come. Only then do I do my work, putting people together, setting them on their feet, ready for the end. This is what the prophets meant when they wrote, and then they will all personally be taught by God. And this is the kicker right here. Anyone who has spent any time at all listening to my Father, really listening... Right. And therefore, learning comes to me to be taught personally, to see it with their own eyes and to hear it with their own ears from me, since I have it firsthand from the father. Right. So if you're really praying and you're really listening, you turn to Christ. You, you don't turn anywhere else. You turn to Christ. So so God does the initial pursuing. Right. That was the whole point of, of all that. But I want you to remember that listening part. I'm going to come back to that. God does the initial pursuing, and we're just the rest of the relay team, I guess, so to speak, right? The second thing we forget is that convicting people is the Holy Spirit's job. That's not our job. Many Christians believe, well, if I truly love people, I've got to tell them everything they're doing wrong because that's love. Not really. It's <laughs> not really. You're just irritating them, right? You're just turning them away from Christ. The Holy Spirit is the one convicting people of sin. Again, listen to this from verse. Chapter 16 of John, when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. And the verse goes on, they're wrong about sin. The essence of sin is not believing that Jesus Christ came from the Father. That's the essence of sin. But even when we know that God does the initial pursuing and the Holy Spirit does the convicting, we still fall for one of two mistakes, two kind of traps we just just fall into. It's not like... We're bad or we're evil. We just, it, this happens, right? We either, we don't listen to people. That's the first mistake we make, right? I'm going to go out and share faith, but I'm not going to listen to the person I'm sharing it with. I don't want to hear their story. I just want them to say the prayer so I can move on with my day. Pastor once asked a non-believing friend a question. He said, if I gave you 30 minutes to speak to a group of Christians on what not to do to have a spiritual conversation with you, what would you tell them? You're running it through your head? What, what do you think this non-believer would say to us? His friend responded without hesitation. I'd tell them, if you're not willing to listen to me, I'm not willing to listen to you." Every conversation I've ever had with Christians has been so one-sided. They want to do all the talk and expect me to do all the listening it ticks me off because it's quite obvious all they're concerned with is getting their point across it comes across as very arrogant and disrespectful I end up wanting nothing to do with their religion because I never want to become one of them you recognize this is what the world is saying when we leave here thinking I want to share my faith with somebody pastors made me feel so guilty and horrible I just gotta gotta get rid of this I got to do this thing right and then we go and attack people (laughs) or we make an even bigger mistake than not listening to people we don't listen to God we pray but then we don't listen right we pray and really literally what we're doing is God this is what I'm going to do this is what I'm going to do this is what I'm going to do bless it please amen no listening involved just informing him right sending him an email FYI God (laughs) this is what I'm up to today let me tell you another short story a young commuter riding the train every morning, New York City, and he would pray every morning, Lord, if you want me to share my faith, you know, lead somebody to salvation, just point them out to me. Show me who it is. Well, one day an older man sat next to him on a nearly empty bus, and he just starts sobbing, sobbing. But before the guy, the young commuter, could get all nervous, you know, and, you know, what do I say? Is this the moment? How do I share my faith? What am I supposed to do? You know, maybe he'll get off at the next stop. Oh, Lord, please, please let me get off at the next stop, right? I don't want to do this, right? His whole prayer is kind of all over the map. Maybe you've prayed the same, same prayer. And in the midst of that prayer, he cries out the, old oh, man, I've messed up my life, and I don't know what to do. Won't somebody save me? The young believer then prays a quick prayer. Lord, is, is this a sign? Is, is, this, is, this, is this the one? So, here's our question this morning. Why don't we listen? Why don't we listen to other people? Why don't we listen to God? We pray. We pray a lot, but I get the impression maybe that we don't listen. We don't listen. Last week, we looked at a very simple act of noticing. Again, one of uh, we're going to hit about nine of them, just to let you know, in this series. Relational practices or spiritual biblical acts of kindness right, that constitute really the bigger picture of what it means to share the good news of the kingdom of God. But again, our tunnel vision, our tunnel vision gets, gets us. And we talked about one way, you know, kind of a narrow vision of what it means to share our faith, but it plays out in a couple different ways, other ways. Shared this a couple weeks ago, you know, my day, my goal, my task, tunnel vision, right? I am not going to notice anybody with a need because I got things, I got my needs, that i got to take care of, and so your needs take second place, and also the second tunnel vision issue we have is is our culture and again i 'm just summing it up automatic garage door openers and fences. Our culture is teaching us to have hard hearts it, and again, I, I, this message is not to say that you all have hard hearts is, is to say that you all need to be super, super careful because this culture is making our hearts hard. But even with things to do, places to go, and people to see, Jesus made time and he made room for the Zacchaeuses of the world. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. Here's what I want you to catch this morning. Based on the rest of the gospel accounts of Jesus, right? Jesus was ready, right? He was locked and loaded, Right? He didn't just. I don't think. I don't believe he's just walking along and suddenly he notices Zacchaeus and thinks, "I wonder." Right? I think Zacchaeus was already on his mind. I think Jesus was already praying, "Lord, who am I supposed? I'm passing through Jericho, but if you need me to stop, point him out. Just point him out, and I won't double ask you. Are you sure this is the guy?" I think Jesus was prepared, ready, and expecting. To see an opportunity to share the good news of the kingdom. See, unlike our young commuter, Jesus wanted and expected to hear from God, right? To see what God saw in that sobbing man. And I think our young commuter really didn't want. He was saying the prayer, but hoping God wouldn't answer, right? Or maybe unlike our overzealous Christians who talk too much and they don't listen, Jesus wanted to hear from the brokenhearted. He wanted to hear about their pain that meant something to them and to him he expected to see what god saw in them rather than what the world saw in them the difference was that jesus was already he'd already been praying and he was now listening to god the tracks we're going to look at this morning praying and listening in matthew chapter 13 Jesus explains not only the individual importance of prayer and then listening to God's response, but there's an also vital connection between those two, and they can't be separated. They're the two separate ideas, but again, they, they, they go hand in hand. So we're going to look at chapter 13 in the book of Matthew, following yet another parable. Jesus concludes, whoever has ears, let them hear. It's the strangest saying, the strangest saying, meaning simply that nearly everyone can physically hear, nearly everyone, unless you have hearing physical problems but few take the time or the effort or the steps to really listen right we can physically the sound waves come in but you know how easy it is to check out and not those sound waves are still coming in but they're not entering your brain right there's like a wall between your ear and your brain and it hits that wall and it doesn't make it through if you're married you know what i mean it happens it just happens Remember from John chapter 6, whoever really, really listens, they learn, right? And then they turn to Jesus for the complete picture, right? To see and hear exactly what God sees and hears. And again, that takes more than most willing, more time, more effort than most people are willing to put in. And again, not even the disciples were immune to this impatience. In verses 10 and 11, they're impatient, They're basically asking Jesus, just tell us straight, stop speaking in riddles. They asked him, they came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? And he replied, because the kingdom, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Now that sounds not right, doesn't it? Like, what did they do wrong? And I don't remember doing anything right. And so why, do I, why, why am I given these secrets? There's something we need to understand about this, this word secrets and a couple other words that the New Testament used, mysteries. Right? And in our passage this morning, mystery, secrets, those are, in, in our culture, those are things that are un, unsolvable. Right. It, you'll never get to the bottom of it. That's that, that simply that's just the way it is. A mystery or a secret is something that is unknowable. But in the New Testament times, it was a very it was a technical term. Right. It was a technical term that meant if you were on the inside. Right. You understood if you were on the outside, you didn't understand. It's kind of like math, like advanced math. If you're not a good math student, it looks like total gibberish. Right, A mystery that cannot be unlocked. But if you've made it through calculus, it's crystal clear. Well, I I never made it through. I don't know if it's crystal clear to y'all if you made it through. But that's kind of what what he's talking about here when he's talking about the secret and the mystery. It's not something that can't be known. It's simply something that if you're on the inside and you're willing to spend the time, it is completely knowable. Completely. But those on the outside, they look at the Christians and they look at the... You know, the the early uh, sacraments, and they're just thinking, what are they doing? Blood. But those on the inside recognize, no, 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 no. Right? We got it. We understood it. It wasn't a mystery. It wasn't a secret. But to those on the outside, like, right? So Jesus says to the disciples, literally, outsiders cannot understand what I say, but you know me. You're my disciples. You can understand we've had conversations, we've been in prayer together, and you really listened, you understood, and you responded appropriately. This is what Jesus is saying to his disciples. See, the problem, one of the problems is, is, is a phrase that's used here, and I, I personally, I always use the kingdom of God. Um, and again, this is the book of Matthew. Matthew is the only gospel writer that wrote specifically to Jewish people. Mark, Luke, and John all wrote to Gentile audiences. They used Jewish ideas, but they were writing to Gentile audiences. Matthew was writing to purely a Jewish audience, so he won't use the word God. He uses the word heaven. But here's what happens with that word heaven. And I know this when I talk to people. When I say the kingdom of heaven, in their mind, automatically, it's somewhere else has nothing to do with here. Right, as soon as we use that term, kingdom of heaven, in people's minds there becomes this total separation where heaven has nothing to do with earth and earth has nothing to do with heaven. some someplace that maybe we'll go to someday, hopefully, and write this. But when we talk about the kingdom of God, God is present in our lives, it gives a whole new, different feel, and that is really, I was going nowhere with that, but I just had to, had to say it. Okay, here, the problem... We're going to keep reading. Matthew 13, 12 says, whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what they will have will be taken from them. And again, you're thinking, that sounds horribly mean, Jesus. I thought you loved us. Are you keeping secrets from us? No, no, not at all. Again, to those who strive to really listen and understand, it will be given and then some. He'll just keep giving. If you want and if you're searching, knock and it will be, the door will be answered. You know, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. If you don't do any of those things, you will not experience God. That's, that's just the way it is. To those who stop searching or never really searched at all or to those who never had their answers, their question, excuse me, fully answered. Any understanding gradually dims and fades. Remember the parable of the sowers? The, the world just chokes out the good news. Jesus continues, verse 13. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear Or understand Eugene Peterson puts it this way and again in his message version that's why I tell stories to create readiness to nudge the people toward receptive insight in their present state they can stare until doomsday and not see it listen till they're blue in the face and not get it Charles Schultz this this was his deal I've talked about this before he considered every one of his comic strips a mini sermon and he said it was a successful sermon because he never had to point his finger at anybody. He would point his finger at one of his characters in his comic strip, which created room. Like, he could have stood up there and said, you are bad, you're bad, you're bad. But no, he pointed at one of his comic strip characters, and that created a little bit of room, a little bit of space, right, for us to go, wow, that's, that's me. Now, if, if Charles had pointed his finger at me, I would have gotten all defensive and... Right, and he could have talked till he was blue in the face and until kingdom come and I wouldn't have got it. But by giving me a little bit of space, giving me a little bit of right room to recognize myself, the truth got in. He snuck it in. He did. He snuck it in with some comic, right? Jesus sneaks it in with parables. Otherwise, the people would just immediately, Barrr! but he tells these parables and, and later that night, you know some of these people are going, wonder what he meant by that parable. Let me keep reading, verses 14 and 15. "In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. In other words, I don't want Isaiah's pro- forecast to happen again. Literally, Jesus is saying, "It happened in Isaiah's days, and oh, it's happening again, right? You will ever be hearing, but never understanding you will ever be seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's hearts have become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Here's what I'm not saying, that you all have hard hearts. Don't hear me wrong. That's not what I'm saying. But here's the big hairy fact. Our culture is teaching us to have hard hearts. And unless we actively fight against it, we're not on mission right we want it to be natural and easy and you know and and that that's just not the way it's going to be in order to share the good news of the kingdom of god will require relational commitment and not a 10 minute elevator pitch right that leaves them empty-handed that leaves you spiritually empty-handed too like up. Oh, did my good deed for the day. Our garage door openers and our fences and our precious autonomy, we are learning to have hard hearts. But if we fight against this part of culture, and again, we are embedded in culture, but we can fight against it. We don't have to go along 100% with culture, right? We can swim against the tide, we can. It's difficult. But we can do this. If we fight against the culture, verses 15, we'll see with our eyes, hear with our ears, and understand with our hearts in turn, and Jesus will heal us. Right? Here's the application for all of us we can pray, we need to pray. It all starts with prayer. But if we aren't properly prepared, Right, if we haven't properly prepared our hearts and our minds to see what God sees and to hear his thoughts on what we see, we won't see and we won't hear. We will continue with our tunnel vision. We will not notice because we didn't really pray to notice and then listen. And by properly prepared, here's what I mean Are we locked and loaded? Are we ready? Are we prepared? And are we expecting? I know some of us pray in the morning. Lord, put somebody across my path. And I, I, I want to tell you something. If, if that's your prayer, you need to be prepared because that's a prayer that God answers rather readily. Right? It, it, first of all, you got to say the prayer, but then you got to put yourself in a position to actually notice people who are hurting. So you need to do something about that automatic garage door opener and those fences. Again, it's not going to happen automatically. And if we are prepared, and if we are ready, and if we are expecting, really listening to both God and the people around us, I think we will see what God sees and hear from Him. This is the closing verses 16 and 17. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. Because you prayed and you wanted and expected to hear from God, you saw Him. Right? You saw him and your eyes were opened. Right, You heard and you understood. But only because you prayed and you wanted and expected to hear from God, to see what he sees. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but they did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. But because you prayed, you wanted and you expected to hear from God, you saw him. And your eyes were opened. Many people long to see God. They long to hear from God. But unless they're prepared, ready, and expecting, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Bow your heads, Father. Open our eyes. Unplug our ears. But, Father, before that, soften our hearts. Or else our ears and our eyes, they're not going to do what they need to be doing. Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit breaking into hard hearts this morning. In your son's name I pray. Amen.